Hello, I'm Nutty McShithead. everybody this is daniel oh and this is daniel <laughs> and this is carlin we are hoosier homicide a true crime podcast by hoosiers for hoosiers or for anyone that doesn't know what a hoosier is now i might be able to hear that lawnmower i fixed your lawnmower bobby boucher well it's memorial day everyone has to cut their goddamn grass whenever you're gonna do it this is it it's the only option our grass is too wet Swamp yeah, but monster. I got most of it cut before it really rained the other day. Except for back there. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to. I didn't, that's it like, why. It was like 8 o'clock. Well, I don't want to cut back there. So, I People. said, that's that's a Danielle job. I haven't heard the story <laughs> about the cemetery, and I need to hear it. Oh, okay. Oh, so, okay, also address that Carla's not here, because we didn't know if we, we didn't get to record Sunday. Why did we not record Sunday? Because it was supposed to be the Indy 500. Yeah. And it wasn't. And it wasn't. Okay. That was sad. Yeah. But you did okay. You did okay. Boris, quit licking your balls. He's not. He's licking his, his mighty mouse. Okay. So, and then I think I was busy all day. i smooch on the eyeball. Ugh. All day. I feel like I was busy chasing her around. Yeah. And I made dinner and then the day was over and then she wouldn't go to bed. Besides, so I told, then today we thought we were going to kick, cook out, but we're not. <laughs> Which is fine, but we thought we were as the neighbors down the street, so we didn't think you agreed to it, and I would have agreed to it also, and then forgot that we hadn't recorded, and we're going to on Monday. So I told Carla, "Hey, we're going to a cookout. We can't record. Life is in the way of everything." She's like, "Okay." So I gave her permission to roam about the cabin. So then when I countered back and said, "Hey, we're going to record tonight," she was like, "Oh," uh, and I don't know if she was, it was who she's hanging out with, but people are allowed to be near each other now, so. Not too close, but anyway, so I told Carla, not a big deal. Daniel and I will record and so on and so forth, yada, yada, et cetera, et cetera. Anyways, okay, now I want to hear about the cemetery. Do you want to explain why? So my uncle that passed away at the end of December this year, uh, part of the reason we were so close is we always spent a good chunk of May together. Or any time, it really, it wasn't just that, it was any time I went to the race. So, a lot of my happiest memories have, you know, my my Uncle John's in them. But, you know, one of the, um, and obviously that's just one of the many, the very, various reasons. But, so yesterday was supposed to be the race. And it was, it you know, I've had, I'd had all this, like, build up, like, Okay, the 500 is going to be a, you know, it's always a big deal. It's a big deal to everyone in my family. It's truly been passed down, you know, from generation to generation. And, you know, it's, you know, it's a special thing. You know, the Indy 500 is a special thing to a lot of people in central Indiana. Not being able to go yesterday and it's like, well, maybe it's going to happen in three months. It's like some of those feelings then have to linger. Mm -hmm. So I decided yesterday I was going to go sit, visit his grave, which is still nothing more than a mound of dirt. Now they've cleaned it up quite a bit. Does uh, he have a headstone yet? No. Sometimes the ground's it takes been, a while. I didn't realize how long you waited to put a, uh, a headstone in. Yeah. 
um, because they have to wait, obviously, for everything to get solid because you don't want his headstone to fall over. Remember, we went back quite a while later to see if my great aunt Mary's had like my mom was like, I have to go check and see if it was put right. in because it takes so long. Right. Yeah. Because I was expecting to walk up and see it. It's like, nope, nope. Just dirt. Anybody else that anybody that I've ever been to a burial before, all that stuff was done in oh, advance. I never thought about so that. So they, they get it put in. So anyways, you know, I go there and I listen to, you know, the, the pre, I just put on the pre-race festivities, listen to taps, and then I listen to, but I had to make sure it wasn't Jim Corneliuson who does it now, who is the singer from the, um, he does the national anthem for the Chicago Blackhawks. Like that's okay. the thing in hockey, really in Chicago period, they have the same person singing the national anthem almost at the Cubs and the, um, the Black Sox. And I think it's a thing through the NHL that you. It's not like mandatory, but people just do it. So I get done and it's nice and quiet. And I thought, well, I'm going to run off. And I thought, no, I, I want to, I actually want to just sit here yeah. for a minute. It's quiet. I can hear some lady in the background because it's not that far from a neighborhood. I can hear um, some white trash lady yelling at her kids. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Whatever. Then all of a sudden this car pulls up and out hops a lady wearing a mooey. A moo-moo? And, or a moo-moo. Yeah. Yeah. Out walks a lady in a moo-moo. And I knew it was on. <laughs> and, you know, what I was listening to, the video, I uh, I turned it down because I thought, I don't want anyone else hearing it because it is a graveyard. And so, I, and I even sat my phone down on the ground. Okay. Really, it's not like I can think of, you know, he's buried down there conscious. It's really just, it's, you know, more for me. Which is fine. Because at that point, then, it's like, I'm still trying to interact with you, even though you're dead. When they were showing him video, like, sports events at the showing. That was me. I, I was, like, cry laughing. Like, it was so yeah. sad and so sweet at the same time. Like, <laughs> Yeah. So, um, I'm, texting, I'm texting my cousin, who that was her, her dad. Um, but, you know, as, as soon as I got there, I, you know, I texted her and I told her what I was doing. And I said, you know, it's very, uh, I go, it's very peaceful out. Da, 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 da. And, uh, I told, I did tell her, I go, he'd be pissed looking at the grass on his grave. <laughs> It'll get better. I told her when they leave, we're going to rip all the grass up and we'll resod it. He'll have the nicest yard in the cemetery. He was, particularly. he would tell someone flat out, that looks like shit. You know, you should fix it. <laughs> he met his neighbors once. Like they just moved in and these, they're, they're probably closer to our age. Mm-hmm. And this had been within like the last four or five years. But so the first time he meets John, John looks at like everyone's kind of congregating in the middle of the circle. The court. And he yeah. realized that John was the mayor of the court. Because <laughs> the first thing he says to him is he looks at him, looks at his house, looks at him, looks at his house. And he had a gutter. They had a gutter that had fallen down. Mm -hmm. Well, they had a list of stuff and they'd been out there working. And the first thing John says to him goes, so, uh. We need to get that gutter fixed. <laughs> it's like, well, would you like to help? Right. So I, uh, these people show up and, oh, where was I? Oh, we were, I was saying that, you know, I had kept it pretty quiet or I was keeping my, when I, what I was listening to, I was keeping quiet and they pull up at the end of it and I'm like, I don't want to sit here and do this. No, it's okay. If it had, if it had been my dad, I probably would have said, you can kiss my ass. I'm listening to this. Yeah. 
And immediately, it's just like, I, I text my cousin. I'm like, the extras from Tiger King just showed up. <gasps> oh. And oh my God. I'm assuming she got the reference. As yes. Most people would, yeah. Oh, yeah. They're talking about something. They go, everybody loves Don Joe, even daddy. <laughs> and so I start texting her as I'm hearing this. And <laughs> he, start, he started yelling back, sis, you... You listen to this, I do not love Donna. And they're talking about it. And say, yes, you did. You wanted to be her boyfriend. <laughs> oh, and they were talking about there was a Mary. What were they yelling? Oh, uh, go put flowers on Mary. No one ever remembers her. <laughs> Is there a reason why? <laughs> okay. Oh, yeah, it was who? And that's where you, who's Mary? Mary was the one that got hit by the truck. I'm like, what, what? the fuck? So at this point, I'm like, I'm going to sit here. Maybe they're going to go away because mm. I'd like to sit here for a few more minutes. They didn't go away. <laughs> and then they started threatening each other with physical violence. Now, you can clearly tell these are like three siblings and their mother was in the car. Late 40s into the 50s. OK. And you can tell that. Um, I mean, you could t- they, they were getting along, but they were like play arguing with one each other, one another. In a graveyard. Yeah, though. Yeah. There's other families. I mean, it was, to me, it was busy for a graveyard. Because when I go to a graveyard, I want to be, like, the only person there. You go on a sad, cold, rainy day, you'll be the only one there. Or maybe there's one other person in there. But there were several different families as you're driving back. And, like, they start, he started yelling about having swamp ass. (laughs) What? Yes. I guess it was a little hot out. The first hot day we've had. Yes. I got swamp ass. I mean, there's a level of honesty there. Transparency, I guess. Yep. That's funny. So that's what I... What would your uncle have said if that was going on? I God only knows. I can, yeah. I can almost picture him. Oh, yeah. She, she texted me back and said he wouldn't have had it any other way. Yeah. So I did text my aunt because I knew she was going to be heading that way to... Uh, to put flowers and stuff on his grave. Mm-hmm. And uh, I said, you may uh, you may want to hold off for a minute. Watch out for the white trash. Yeah. Give it give it a few minutes. That was nice. That was nice of you to give her the heads up about that. Because you can't restrict people from coming in, I guess. Right. Man. <laughs> so that's my, uh, that's yeah. my graveyard story. That's it. Yep. We can start another podcast called Graveyard Stories. I'm sure there already is one. Yeah. I'm sure there is. Oh, okay. You, people know that. Yeah, yeah. How do I know that, but you don't? Listen, my life is hard. <laughs> okay, the new Patreon members that we have are Tracy and Jay. So I'm thanking them. And I really appreciate it because you people are the way that we get to do this. Otherwise, we wouldn't get to do this. Yeah. Yeah. We tossed around the idea of getting a P.O. box. But I don't know if anyone would even want to send us anything. I don't know. And that's the point. Is for them. I don't know if I want anybody to send us anything. I mean, it can't be anything that illegal. It goes to the post office. Sometimes you like to say not nice things about people. Oh, I do say rude things on occasion once and in a it's while. Like, well. 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 But I also realized that I use the Patreon app to do everything, mm-hmm. to look up information and to... You can't see all the addresses on the Patreon app, but you can on the website. 
So I found a lot more addresses for people and ordered a lot more nice stickers. I'm on it. It's happening. I'm like... Look at you being responsible. Like. Yes. No, we have a listener in Sweden. Sweden. Yeah. And I know absolutely nothing about Sweden except they're better than most people. And Canada. And we had some good Canada stories. There's a Swedish IndyCar driver. Who? Marcus Erickson. Maybe that you did mention him. And then Felix Rosenquist. He's also Swedish. Swedish. Kenny Breck won the Indy 500 in 1999. He's Swedish. How do you know all this? Um, one of my favorite bands is from Sweden, Avatar. I think they're from Sweden. Yeah, we've got people from, obviously, Indiana. Obviously. But there's Colorado. Yeah, they are Swedish. Okay. There's Colorado, Michigan, Canada. And then S-E is Sweden. I had to look at Emma. Is in yeah. Sweden. All sorts of good things are from Sweden. But can they not name any of their kids? Cos- not Costco. What is it? Ikea. Ikea. They can't name any of their kids. It's illegal. I might have made that up. Florida, Minnesota, Massachusetts, Georgia. Ooh, Bubba. Don't be a sad Bubba. North Carolina. I'm going to, I'm just, now I'm Virginia. So it's not just people in Indiana that listen to us. Damn it. Ohio. They're pretty close. Yeah. Okay. So those people are the reason why we get to do this. And it makes me very happy. And when I'm happy, sometimes other people are happy, sometimes they're not. (laughs) This is from Emily. And I missed her, the story she sent in, because the title was COVID-19. So I thought it was junk mail. (laughs) I was like, I I know everything I need to know about COVID-19. Thank you very much. So I didn't read it. (laughs) For how long? Um, The end of March. (laughs) You owe somebody an apology. I did. I did apologize. I swear. So she had a short story about someone that, okay, I'll read it from her POV. POV. My family is from a small town in southern Indiana, right across from Louisville. <laughs> Louisville. <laughs> to next, you know, Louisville, Kentucky. Yeah, that one. Okay. My grandfather would often travel around the state to meet new and interesting people for his work. During one of his trips, he met a man named Jim who became one of his best friends. Eventually, Jim became Uncle Jim to our family. Uncle Jim would often go out to dinner and hang out with my grandparents, talking about his passions and hobbies. Uncle Jim one day told my grandfather about his church in Indianapolis, and my grandparents joined it. Oh, I know where this is going. Yes. Have you guessed that Uncle Jim is Jim Jones? One day during a dinner in the house that I grew up in, still freaks me out, that I now own the table that Jim Jones ate at multiple times, Jim and my grandfather were talking about the move that they were going to make to Guana when my grandfather's faithful pet decided to intervene. My grandfather had a pet parrot that had the habit of only only repeating what my grandfather said. My grandpa had the mouth of a sailor and... And of course, the parrot only picked up on the best curse words. So while Jim and my grandparents were talking about the move, the parrot decided that now was the best time to talk. The parrot started calling Jim every word in the book that you could think of in those times. Smart parrot. After being insulted by a five pound flying rat, Jim just stood up and left the house. (laughs) My grandparents never heard or saw Jim again. So I owe my life to a parrot because without her, I would not be here. Wonder if it was an African gray. Great. Yeah, I was like, those are the real talkative ones. Yeah. That's a good story. Thank you. Don't drink the flavoring. I agree. 
That is, uh, that's good. Yeah, those are, I mean, that's the stuff they send into My Favorite Murder all the time. Those are the good ones. Ha, and they called us with it. Yeah, I like it. Okay, this has something, I mean, overseas. There's going to be a lot of names in this I can't pronounce. And we're just all going to make peace with that. I actually did look some of this stuff up a little while ago, so it's gone already. But I did make the effort. You know what you need to do? Hmm. You need to type out, like, if I get weird names at work, uh-huh. I will write out a, the pronunciation. Like, not how you're the, actually supposed to write it out, but how I'll remember it. Yeah. That's I, what you need to I do. I should. Just go in there and type it out. But, you know, I've just gotten shit before once or twice for not being able to pronounce like my things. my name's Dan Yule. Yule. Like Yule Log. Mm. Then you start thinking Log. And you think, man, he's got a log. Yeah, there we go with that. Yay. Okay, this it's came... Like a, it's like an eight by four. Oh, my God. <laughs> my dick. How it's much... four inches, but some girls like it that wide. How much wood would a woodchuck chuck? Anyways, I'm going to read some sources. Makes me a good person. Wikipedia. No. Wikipedia.com. Sometimes... Murderpedia. Wiki... Sometimes Wikipedia has the best information. Sometimes they don't. This is from ABC News. ABC News in Washington. NY Daily News. Hello, Orange Man Bad. Stop it. Vanity Fair. Yeah, VanityFair.com. And TimesofIsrael.com. All right. Mostly Vanity Fair. They had the most uh, incorporative version. Okay. Stories about doctors causing harm by performing surgeries incorrectly or trying to game the system by overbilling insurance companies are hardly new. So this, the title for the Vanity Fair is The Runway Doctor by Buzz Bissinger. Aldrin. Bissinger from 2010. So Dr. Mark Weinberger. Lisa Berger. <laughs> Lisa Berger. Was just as disturbing, cruel, and bizarre as the rest of them, if not more so. He had lived... He had lived high and mighty in his, in his former life, reportedly making as much as $3 million a year. So doctors are smart. They go to school. They get good at whatever they specialize in. They make a lot of money. Nothing new. He owned a $2.4 million townhouse condominium in Whoop Chicago. <laughs> it was five stories high with an elevator. I'm not impressed. He had an 80-foot yacht called the Cortices, C-O-R-T-I-C's. Worth roughly $4 million. He had an undeveloped property of 1.4 acres with a pink sand beach on Harbor Island in the Bahamas worth 750000 Hey, we got some undeveloped property in Texas. Right? Texas property. Yeah. That we don't know what to do with. Okay, we as in my mother and her siblings. I thought they had taken care of that. No, I mean, it was... Is it worth anything? Yeah, but I, they've had it since my grandfather's death so my great-grandfather has been paying the taxes on it for a year you know right and i feel like here lately they've offered us some money us as in my mom <laughs> we just live so close i just assume her finances are my finances well according to you and your sister they <laughs> yeah sure are. yep they are i don't know how much property it is and i don't know if anyone's ever gone to see it and it's hard to find like on google earth and you don't even really know what you're looking at so i feel like people have offered him money but I just assume everything's a scam, so I don't know what they did with it or what they're going. And they probably need signatures from all. Oh yeah, five uh, well, brothers. I've heard your mom talk about some of this. And yeah, and they're not going to give it. Yeah. They wouldn't give it, even if it would make one of them in particular. Even if it would make him money, he wouldn't do it because what is he? What is he? 
A doctor? A doctor. <laughs> I believe they drive Gomez. No, a Buick. Ah! He could be charming and was well-educated, and having been a philosophy major at the University of Pennsylvania, he would also be dismissive and rude and narcissistic. And once, according to Michelle Kramer, his wife, he said he was unhappy in their marriage over the issue of her lack of eagerness for oral sex. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. He would yell at nurses in his office, telling them they were fat because they were eating pizza. He would take... change from shopkeepers and throw it on the ground because he could not be bothered with it so like instead of actually counting out my change i just like throw it at you oh one of those people yeah the wave of malpractice allegations could hardly have been foreseen during the academic years of 1995 to 1996 when mark weinberger was a young and ambitious doctor with a fellowship at the university of illinois at chicago studying under one of the most eminent rhinoplasty surgeons in the world The fellowship was extremely competitive. Only two of the roughly 100 who applied that year were accepted, and Weinberger's references from the divisions of otolaryngology otolaryngology at the University of California, San Diego Medical Center. I can say medical names better than I can say other shit, which he had been a resident at for five years. So he had good references, and to be picked at two out of 100... We have searched over and over again for clues, that, the, and there really aren't any, said Dr. Eugene Tardy, now retired, under whom Weinberger served with his fellowship. He was bright, talented, compassionate, caring doctor, adds Dr. Daniel Becker, who was the other fellow that year and is now clinically associated. That's really close to the name of the guy, I think, that uh, did your dad's um, bypass. Yeah, but this guy was rhinology, a rhino. He studied rhinos and their large yes. horns. On the regular. Uh, So they don't know what happened or why he turned out the way he did. I know why. Marker was one of three boys born to Fred and Fanny Weinberger. (laughs) Might be Berger. You know, it really doesn't matter because he's the douche in this situation. So we can mispronounce his name. Makes him look silly, not us. Yeah, damn it. He was the middle child with a birth date of May 22nd, 1963. And the family had a unique claim to fame. So he had middle child syndrome also. Yep. What do you think I am? Chopped liver? They were. They were chopped liver. They were kings and queens of chopped liver. Thanks to a recipe created by Mark Weinberger's grandmother, Sylvia, with that the New York Times called in her 1995 obituary, a sprinkling of matzah meal, a pinch of salt, and a dollop of schmatzelmanship. It's a Jewish word. I can't pronounce it. Schmatzelmanship. The story began when she was... She made chopped liver for a luncheonette she and her husband had opened in 1944 in the Bronx. When people liked the chopped liver, she put it in the Bronx supermarket, a sideline that ultimately transformed into a $2 million a year packaging food business known as Mrs. Weinberger's Food Products. So that's where I'm getting this confused because they've shortened her name to fit on the label and it was easier for people to pronounce instead of Berger. It's just Burger, Weinberger. Yes. That's why I'm confused. It's not my fault. It's their chopped liver fault. Her name was shortened because of the label, and yep, I just said the company was dissolved in 1989, but the chopped liver still lingers, having earned mentions in exhibitions at the American Jewish Jewish Historical Society and the National Museum of American Jewish History. Okay, Fred Weinberger, so his dad, worked as a physicist in Washington for the federal government and for a time as an executive with the family business. He eventually settled his family in Mamerneck, New York. 
so the three sons, Jeff, Mark, and Neil, could attend the well-regarded Scarsdale High School. The move paid off as the three went on to Ivy League schools. Smart, smart kids. Doesn't make you a good person. Nope. Jeff carried the stigma of being hard to get along with and was argumentative with his parents, ultimately becoming estranged for the family. When his mother died of cancer in May 2002, he did not attend the funeral. That's a winner. Mark, for his part, had the sense that his mother always favored Neil, so the youngest, because they had similar artistic personalities. Mark had tried to impress his mother with his academic accomplishments. He was cum laude graduate of Penn, then thrived in medical school at UCLA with a grade point average of 3.82 and a merit scholarship. But those stellar achievements apparently didn't count for much with his mother. To the extent that years later, Mark wanted few drawers as possible, like dresser drawers, in his new Chicago condominium because my mom would take any award I had and put it in a drawer because she didn't want Neil to feel bad. <laughs> it sounds like a mom. That's your favorite. <laughs> it's like, I was like, oh, good job, honey. We're just going to put this in the drawer so it doesn't get hurt. <laughs> we not get knocked over or anything. Your first place prize at the science fair <laughs> well neil didn't even you know he didn't even make it to the final two so i don't upset neil neil and bob later on after mark had become a successful doctor and michelle his wife would watch as he tried to impress his mother when they were out for dinner he regaled fanny with stories of trips taken all over the world courtesy of net jets the private jet service that is somewhat akin to like a timeshare so it feels like you own a jet a, but, but you really don't not even close. And she responded by saying, you should donate your money to a charity. You should do some good in your community. So his mom was like, wasting all your goddamn money traveling well, around the world. Maybe it really was. Yeah. Invariably, after an hour at dinner together, mother and son would be just fighting. Like, well, yeah, she put his awards in drawers. You would fight with her, too. <clears throat> of all the, the things. Middle child syndrome. Tyler's the middle child on your side, right? Yep. Has he ever suffered from middle child syndrome? I think he does. <laughs> Mark had what could be categorized as classic middle child syndrome, always wanting to please and to prove his success. And at least in his father's case, there was an ample family pride and at times parental assistance. When Mark expanded his practice by building a state-of-the-art clinic in 2002, Fred Weinberger lent him a million dollars for to purchase a CAT One scan. One million dollars. With sharks with laser beams, too. He gave them those for the moat around the clinic. The sharks had laser beams attached to their heads. Sharks with freaking laser beams attached to their heads. <laughs> so he has his own CAT scan machine, which is important. Fred was particularly proud of Mark was... That Mark was scientifically minded as him. So I guess there is some connecting with your children more so if they have things in common with you. But you're supposed to be interested in your kids' things intentionally so that you're a part of their lives and that they will be there when you die. That's why we, we spend a lot of time watching kids' fun TV. Oh, God. You know, I, <laughs> I got on your iPad and logged in Instagram on my mom's, like, you indie, you know, rental account. And only followed those kids so I didn't have to give her my phone. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sat here right next to her and she, you know, she didn't even look at it for very long. It was just the fact that, like, she could, you know. Yeah. She tried to tell me you'd lost your iPad. And I was like, funny, because I'm, like, charging it in the bedroom right now. <laughs> Anyways, in 1996, after completing his fellowship, Mark had begun practicing as an ear, nose, and throat surgeon in Maryville, Indiana. 
which is 30 miles from Chicago. We don't have to ask Carla where it is. Ear, nose, and throat. What is the abbreviation for that? They're like, I'm going to go. What specialist? It's like. That's an otolaryngologist. Yeah. <laughs> this Vanity Fair calls this town tepid and dreary. I was like, well, it's next to Chicago. I mean, might as well call Chicago tepid and dreary. Uh, a town of 30,000 at the time, Maryville seemed an unlikely place for a doctor with such lofty credentials, but the air quality in the region was poor because of all the steel mills surrounding it. The concentration of airborne pollutants could often lead to sinus problems, which became Weinberger's specialty. The blue-collar population in the area, largely unionized, had something that it is believed to have been essential to Weinberger's plan for his practice, health insurance, of which he accepted any and all kinds. So... These people got some nasolio-fascial problems. He fixes those things. They're unionized, so they have health insurance, and he will take that. Well, okay. Michelle Kramer was Mark Weinberger's third wife. Little information is available about his first marriage, which occurred around the time he was a resident in San Diego. Weinberger himself seemed to have swept it under the carpet to the degree that Michelle didn't even know about the marriage until she was told about it during a television interview. So I think after this is all said and done, she didn't even, like, an interviewer was like, and his other wives? She's like, what other wives? <laughs> um. Um, on December 31st, 1997, Weinberger, then 34, got married for the second time to a woman named Gretchen Vandy, then 24. The couple separated after 14 months. He was already making in excess of a million dollars a year and living a lavish lifestyle. Multi-thousand dollar shopping sprees, frequent vacations, and dinners in restaurants costing upwards of a thousand dollars. I'd be throwing up if I went somewhere and tried to eat a thousand dollars worth of food. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, some of those restaurants in Chicago, that's a lot easier to do than what you think. Yeah, that's true. Now, you would probably still get... Listen. The, the diarrheas. Listen. Sometimes the medicine doesn't even work. <laughs> One night in early 2000, Mark was at a club called Glow in Chicago when he met Michelle Kramer, then 25. She was a student at the University of Chicago taking a variety of graduate courses. She was also blonde and thin and striking and both seemed instantly smitten with each other. So she's a smart person, too. She's not like slumming it, not slumming it, uh, not hoeing herself out for a doctor just because she is fully capable of doing smart person things and making money on her own. Yeah, damn it. Yeah, damn it. She, though, had always looked up to doctors ever since she was 13, growing up on the southwest side of Chicago when she had been hit by a car, leaving her in a body cast for roughly a year, and she found Mark Weinberger charming and smart and romantic. So it's like she had a lot of contact with probably some very nice doctors, and so it romanticizes the idea that I could be with a doctor. They took real good care of me as a 13-year-old girl that was hit by a car. And they make a lot of fucking money. Yeah, and... <laughs> They fell in love, and he promised to treat Michelle as a princess for the rest of your life. If a man tells you, I will treat you like a princess, he only means for the immediate moment that you're in. He's not but telling that's you. not true. It, it, no. I, I know mean, a girl that I'm going to treat like a princess. Well, that's, a, that's yeah. That's and I'll, I'll run off all the healthy relationships. <laughs> that you could have. But if a man says that to you, like... Oh, I found the one. We're magically in love. I'm going to treat you like a princess. Do you want to be treated like a princess? No, because that means you're quiet and agreeable. Well, how all women should be. But still, don't you think you'd rather be treated like a queen? Oh, no. I just want to be the boss without having to do boss work. <laughs> yeah. Boy. She does try to tell me daddy's the boss. And I go, uh-uh. 
They became engaged in the spring of 2001. Weinberger liked being over the top, so the engagement wasn't an engagement as much as it was a piece of performance art. Yeah. Well, then, though, my he did this. Okay. The extravaganza took place at... Oh, yeah. Yeah. At a, a place that I read at first as Pizza Nova in Rome. <laughs> pizza Nova. That sounds like a pizza place? Piazza Novana, I think. It's much more Italian than, but I read pizza. Yeah. yeah. While the couple was there on vacation, Mark had specific affinity for for Italy and would travel there often. On this occasion, he got the pizza place before Michelle and hired singers to serenade her as she arrived in a final flourish with people gathering around to watch. He dropped one knee and proposed with an enormous ring. So he did all of this, but with a videographer. You got done next to a trash can. Yes. It's still my favorite thing. A videographer in Paris, I think. Yeah, but she was already there, I think, for business. Yeah, Rose, I didn't even want She probably does anal. You know, she had to wait a long time. But even at this infatuating stage of the relationship, Michelle noticed signs that Weinberger had a difficult personality, the way he could be charming one moment and irrational and arrogant with others the next, the way he could not deal with the slightest adversity. Hell hath no fury like a white man slightly inconvenienced. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> An average white man. I guess he's a little above average because he's a doctor. Still. Shortly after the couple became engaged, Michelle's father was diagnosed with ad- advanced lung cancer. He was dying, and while Mark tried to be supportive, he almost seemed more upset that the illness m- might, as Michelle says, put an end to the fun and games. Like, our relationship isn't all lighthearted now because you're going to be clearly affected by the death of your father, and that's very inconvenient for me. That's right. Yeah. It's a van. It's a van. That's what? A van that left. It's a suspicious I like sometimes van. when he kind of hears something and he's like, I'm not really sure if I heard something. So. I'm going to go check. No, he just sits there and he goes. I'll put my hand over his nose sometimes. I'm like, it's fine. It's nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> Now everything is going to change, she remembers him telling her. Do you realize how our life is going to change? He even suggested they should not get married at all because it will be no fun now that your dad is dead. Uh, He changed his mind but later expressed puzzlement, almost irritation, when Michelle spent as much time as she could with her father while he was in the hospital. Why does somebody want to be in a hospital room, he asked resentfully. It doesn't help anything. So it's like you being there isn't going to make him not have cancer anymore, so you just shouldn't go see your dad as he's dying. Yeah. Like, this is a bad sign. Uh, she was struck by the lack of empathy, particularly from a physician. Several years later, he told Michelle that he didn't even enjoy being a doctor and disliked patients. So he did this just to prove to his mother that he was smart and became a doctor. And now he likes making money, but that's it. That's what I did. What? <laughs> huh? Huh? The wedding was planned for May of 2002. Mark had envisioned a grand ceremony in Ravioli, Italy. <laughs> it looks like Ravioli. With both a rabbi and a Catholic pre- priest flown in to fit their religious backgrounds, which is very nice. But the date was moved to November 2001 at the Chicago Botanic Garden so that Michelle's father could walk her down the aisle, which he didn't appreciate. But Chicago Botanic Garden, I believe, is where we drove up to for my cousin to get married. Yes. Remember that? I'm pretty, I asked my mom. She's like, I think it is. 
it was all vegan. I think it was all vegetarian and we missed the actual ceremony because Carla got lost and she will never admit to this day that she got lost in the rain in Chicago. And no, you don't. Don't say anything to her. <laughs> don't say anything to her. Are you texting her? She will never admit it. She'll get defensive, even mad about it. And I don't think I was in charge. I was in the back seat, but she was driving. We ended up some down an alleyway in the rain. I don't think it was at night. I was like, we're in fucking Chicago. We don't know where the fuck we are. And obviously, we didn't give a shit if we saw the ceremony or not. I was there for the food. Okay. This is probably going to be two parts. Good. Which is fine. Carla can come okay. in and not know what's, or what's going on. In the end, there would be three different wedding celebrations. The one in Ravioli transformed into a blessing because they got married in Chicago. The blessing. <laughs> the blessing. Mark flew in roughly 15 guests from the United States at the third reception and then and then the third reception for 110 guests was at the Field Museum in Chicago. Three ceremonies. The couple purchased their condominium in November 2002. Mark eventually had three drivers. And his car was always on call in the front of his property. He kept a large staff at home, including personal assistant, three women in maids' uniforms to clean and do the laundry, a personal trainer, and a massage therapist who gave Mark and Michelle nightly massages. <laughs> nightly. Massage. I don't even know if I'm touching me that much. I just don't want a nightly massage. I'm like, you know what? I haven't showered today. You just don't need to dig your thumbs into my back. It's just gross for everyone all around. <laughs> I'll just go to bed now. You can wash the sheets tomorrow, though. <laughs> That's what I need is some maids. Personal assistants. Yes. He was extremely particular about his needs. Every day, according to Michelle, one of the chauffeurs would drive him the hour or more to get to work in Merrillville. Uh, fight traffic all the way, then return to the city to pick up his sushi from his favorite restaurant and then bring it back to Maryville for lunch. I was okay. like, but if you're getting paid, I mean, if your job is to drive and you're getting, but I mean, whatever. Mark also had particular sexual desires when it came to marriage. Yes. <laughs> He'd been obsessed. Me too. With the fantasy of, uh, this word is betting. I don't like that word. Of doing, boning, banging, a banging cheerleaders ever since high school back when the real thing was clearly off limits because of his non-jock status so he was a nerd and no girls would sleep with him and michelle was surprised <laughs> and michelle would surprise him from time to time in her cheerleading costume which is fine there's no no king shaming and dressing up like that's a common one i feel like but it's well wait a second what I don't own. I have a choice. I have a choice to get outfits. Uh, we don't own any outfits. Well, I'm. I did. Yeah, because I I've always keep, been ashamed. Uh, you know, I talking keep about a these straight, things. I can keep a straight face. Like I just think fucking everything's funny. I want to get a UPS <gasps> outfit. Yeah, the Mister UPS man. You didn't kill him, did you? Past your boobs. Just pasteurized. No, just pasteurized. <laughs> you like your milk pasteurized? No. Just up to a boobs. <laughs> okay, so that was his kink. That's fine. Not a big deal. All right. On another occasion during one of their trips to Italy, he turned her over, <laughs> turned to her over dinner and said he was not happy. Like, just we're at it. We're in Italy. And I look at you of our fancy dinner caviar fish egg plate and say, I am not happy. I'm like, with the fish egg? Which one are you? I was like, I'm not happy with the fish eggs either. It's fucking gross. <laughs> When Michelle asked him why, he said he was disappointed with the level of enthusiasm that she put forth while performing oral sex on him. You're not enthusiastic enough about your dick sucking. You really aren't. 
I, you know, I can relate. <laughs> no, you stop it. Stop it. <laughs> I lost my place. <laughs> he said he had a DVD for her to look at to gain pointers. So he brought a porno or an instruction DVD, like an actual, like that woman with the grapefruit. <laughs> <laughs> I've got that clip in here somewhere, but it's so yes. hard to find old clips of stuff because I don't know what I called it. Like, you did a really good job at that, Danielle. <laughs> lady gargling grapefruit. Like, I don't know. You know, that I you cut the grapefruit and put in a ring and put the ring around the dick. And but if you have some medication, you can't do it because some people can't have grapefruit. I don't know. She even mentions that though. <laughs> I don't know if I can find that or not. Uh, Shocked and humiliated, she left the restaurant. But what upset Michelle even more was Mark's obliviousness to what was going on in her life at the time. She was studying for her PhD at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, still mourning her father, and all he seemed to care about was receiving nightly oral sex. And with gusto. So? You stink of illiteracy. <laughs> with gusto. <laughs> so okay so she's got a lot going on right now it's like she's trying to get her phd which i hear is hard i wouldn't know wouldn't know how hard that was oh you know and then her dad Mine died. came pretty easily so she doesn't have gusto in the dick sucking department okay the nose doctor he shouted it on billboards the nose doctor he used it as the name for his website the nose doctor he couldn't use it as a number for his patients to call because there were too many letters. So it became 1-800-SINUSES. So that was his gimmick. He was, okay. marketing, he was a marketing machine opening his new facility paid for in part by his father's loan at the end of 2002 in a grand ribbon cutting ceremony featuring a huge sign outside Weinberger Sinus Clinic mounted beneath an expensive sculpture of a face with a very large nose. <laughs> okay. Walking into the clinic, says former patient William Boyer, was like walking into the Ritz-Carlton. Boyer believes the clinic's decor was all part of Weinberger's business model to convince patients, particularly the unsophisticated heavy equipment operators such as himself, that to have built such a lavish place, Weinberger must have been at the top of his field. And I would I would have bought that too. I'm like, well, this is fancy shit here. Yeah. I ain't seen no fancy shit like this in a while. He did the presentation right. Mm-hmm. Through 2001, the nose doctor's reputation appeared to have been unblemished with not a single malpractice suit filed against him. That would change, especially following the opening of the new clinic, which, at least in hindsight, seems almost to have been designed to facilitate risky medicine. It was a one-stop shop because Weinberger had his own CAT scan machine. He could read the results himself and avoid the oversight that would have come had he needed to send patients to a hospital for a scan. So I just read it myself. Why go through all the trouble? You know? Yeah. And the fact that there were no other surgeons in the practice meant there were no peers on peers on hand to raise suspicions, which might which may be why, according to court filings, at least ninety percent of the patients who came to see Weinberger were advised on their very first appointment that they needed some type of sinus related surgery. So if you come in there, odds are you need surgery. My dad had some type of sinus surgery. I'm afraid to ask him about it though. I don't think it went well. I think he pulled up like a huge, my mom was there and they pulled out a huge wad of like bloody tissue, uh-huh. gauze, and either he almost passed out or my mom almost passed out. I'm not sure. But if you ask my dad about things like this, 
he'll remember it because it's a negative event. He'll remember it. But then it reminds him of how miserable he was at that time of his life. <laughs> Usually, oh, he wanted to bring up the worst time of my life. Okay, we'll talk about it. <laughs> so I haven't asked him, but I will. Just, you know, he doesn't have anything else going on. Talk about the worst right. time of my life. <laughs> okay. Though Michelle herself was pursuing a doctorate in psychology, she felt in many ways like a kept woman, believing Mark's priority was for her to wear skimpy outfits and have her nails and hair and makeup done. Me too. Sometimes I paint my toenails. So their marriage was all Michelle thought it would be and more, and she adored him. But as her academic career advanced, Mark came to resent it, particularly as problems began to mount in his own work. Instead of supporting her, he made increasing demands and her self-esteem ebbed. I like it when you spend your day getting beautiful for me, he told her. Although she weighed roughly 105 pounds, he gave her grief when, as self-indulgence every Thanksgiving or Christmas, she went to Godiva and bought a box of chocolate truffles. I would go every couple days and buy a box of Godiva chocolate truffles. <laughs> like, listen, this is important. He would spread his fingers as if to measure her buttocks. Like, I can tell how full it is, like, by putting my hand on your ass if it's getting bigger or not. I would do the opposite. I'd go, this cheek's being able to fit into the palm of my hand again, Danielle. It should be bigger. <laughs> we can't afford Godiva, mm -mm. but I can't afford another fine brand. It's kind of like Dolce and Gabbana, except it's Ben and Jerry. Jerry's. <laughs> I would take that. She could tell that he was making sure she wasn't gaining weight since he had obsessions with the subject and said he hated fat women. Good. <laughs> he himself worked out three times a day. So at least he is like maintaining that I'm in shape. So whoever I'm with has to be, but not, you know. Right. He had a saying that the size of the engagement ring should be in inverse proportion to the size of the recipient's buttocks. So the larger the ring, the smaller your ass should be. Like, so the more money I spend on you, the smaller your butt should be. It's like, I don't know if that's true. I was like, so he liked to fuck toothpicks, which is fine. It's fine. If that's the way you're built, it's fine. But you shouldn't have to be that way for you to have your engagement ring be a certain size. Or to get Godiva chocolate truffles, because I would take those. Okay. <laughs> I'll work on that. It almost like he wanted this transitory life, that he wanted me to be a slutty girlfriend and not his wife. I was like, wah, wah. Slutty PhD girlfriend. <laughs> Mark did not allow her to have her own checkbook or see the bills. He gave her $1,000 a week in spending money, leaving it on the kitchen counter as if she were a prostitute. Like, here's your money. I mean, but you it, know, with that being said, if I said, Danielle, here's your allowance every week. Here's $1,000. Yes, I would be okay with it. You'd be, you. But with how much money you would made. say, look, I feel bad I didn't suck your dick last night. Because <laughs> I got this $1,000. But I, I don't It'd know. be like the scene from... Goodfellas, I'd give you the money first, and then you'd be like, like oh, oh, all right. Oh, all right. <laughs> but $1,000 to her with how much money he makes, is that an insult? $1,000 a week? If they, if you spend $1,000, is it dinner? I mean. I guess she needs to be doing this. $52,000 a year to piss away. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it depends. Needs more to, gusto. I have to piss like a Siberian racehorse. Okay. So he liked to spend money and then would complain that they were spending too much money. And she's like, yeah, well, we keep going overseas and spending money. So Phyllis Barnes was 47 years old and employed helping recently laid off steelworkers find new jobs when she went to see Weinberger in September 2001. 
She had had a cough for several months, sometimes spitting up blood, and was now having problems breathing. She was losing weight because it was hard for her to swallow. She had already been to a physician's assistant and a doctor who thought the problem might be asthma or allergies, but her symptoms persisted. A colleague suggested that she go see Dr. Weinberger, but that maybe her problem was sinus-related. When she saw the ear, nose, and throat surgeon, he diagnosed her problem as exactly that. She had surgery the following month, supposedly to remove excess polyps so that she could breathe more easily. The surgery did not work. Oops. And she continued to have enormous difficulty breathing. She went back to see Weinberger, and he told her to relax and give the surgery time to work. But her condition did not improve. She thought she might have pneumonia. 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 Commonly known as pneumonia. And she saw Weinberger once more. But he said he did not treat pneumonia. Well, I don't treat that. <laughs> and so he told her to go to the ER. She saw several other doctors. One said she had a virus. Another said that it was bronchitis and uh, prescribed antibiotics. But her breathing was not getting any better. To the point, she later said in court depositions that it felt like someone was hanging me by a rope. So like that tight around her neck feeling so. But also, if he had an important perform surgery on her, he would have gotten in the line a long list of other doctors. It was like, oh, maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. But he actually performed surgery. On December 7, 2001, she went to yet another doctor named Dennis Hahn. Like Weinberger, Hahn was an ear, nose, and throat surgeon. He immediately saw how sick she was and, based on the sound of her breathing alone, made the correct diagnosis. She did not have sinus problems. She had throat cancer. I was like, that's a screen. Like, you can screen for that, can't you? Like a light? Isn't there a light you can shine back there? I don't know. Yeah. According to legal documents, Weinberger had not even performed a throat exam on Phyllis during her initial visit, but ordered a CAT scan of her sinuses only, because that's the easy thing to do. The reason her lawyer suggested is that Weinberger sometimes saw more than 100 patients a day, meaning given his hours that he spent an average of three minutes with each of them. He also took on as many as 120 new patients a month. His practice was likened to one document as an assembly line. And so this will have... Some of this might have started to feel like the series Dr. Death. And that same series, I think, came out with another one where it was a guy that did colonoscopies with reckless abandon. Shared instruments without cleaning them, whipping people in and out, yanking cords out of them, shit everywhere. So and I don't know if I finished all of that, but it was like he spread hepatitis C to a bunch of people is what it was because he was sharing equipment. Oopsie doodles. Yeah. So that this will start to feel like that somewhat. When Dr. Hahn had seen Phyllis in December, three months after her first visit to Dr. Weinberger, the tumor inside her larynx was easily visible upon examination. So you could see it. So too, in all likelihood, was the enlargement of the lymph nodes in her neck. So that's why you have something growing in there. And that's why you can't breathe. She also had two firm masses on the left side of her neck, which were consistent with cancer. But when Weinberger had last seen Phyllis Barnes only 18 days earlier, he made no notation of this. So it's like you could actually feel the big like lumps on her. And the doctor was like, well, I didn't even touch her neck. So I always have the doctors come for me. You know, I'll see it. It's I, great. Re- I remember uh, your first appointment with uh, uh, when we went to have the kid. Mm-hmm. And she looked up. She looked up at you, and she goes, "I want to look at." She goes, "That thing's staring at me." Yep, <laughs> it was like that makes it sound like it's bad. But the doctors, you know, they're trained that I have a multi nodule goiter on my thyroid, but the lithium has shrunk it. They're pretty sure. So really? there's that. Yeah, 
And so, well, see, so it's not and all it's that also bad. also my neck, too. They're like, because my mom, doctors always come up and push her. They're like, do you, you know, so I don't see it. I can't tell. I'm not a doctor, but I always can tell when the doctors make eye contact with my neck. And I was like, what are you looking at? Because I know what you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. But now they said it went down in size because it, a multi, I had to get an ultrasound, too, at least once or twice. I don't remember. I don't. Know. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm not knowing. But I go to good doctors. They notice it just by eyeballing me. They notice it. And then they would touch my throat, too. Okay. So he made no notations with such obvious abnormalities. Dr. Weinberger would almost have had to intentionally ignore the situation in order to have missed it as badly as his did, as he did. Her lawyer, Kenneth J. Allen, stated in, on filing of behalf of Phyllis. After she died of cancer in 2004, an Indiana medical review panel consisting of three physicians would find Weinberger negligent in his treatment of her. There's like gross negligence and negligence. So gross negligence is like, oh, gross. gross. It's like miss poop. Ew. Like, gr- like I wantonly disregarded this knowingly what I'm doing. And then like negligence, like I left some gauze in your abdomen when i did your surgery unintentionally like i didn't mean to now they do x-rays after you and the gauze has stuff that lights up yeah on an x-ray or something because that happens people leave instruments inside people you know that's the thing so that's like negligence but not i didn't mean to leave my favorite set of forceps inside your abdomen i would not do that they're my favorite (laughs) that's good to know olsen hagers that's the brand okay 2003 and 2004, he performed hundreds of sinus surgeries that were allegedly medically unnecessary. Allegedly. Allegedly unnecessary. Weinberger's ostensible goal was to relieve congestion by removing what he identified as obstructive polyps in mucus. However, based upon court records and interviews with trial attorneys, instead of the accepted method of enlarging the natural sinus openings to improve drainage, he employed an outdated and substandard procedure in which he drilled holes in the back of the maxillary sinuses so that the mucus drained further back into the sinuses, causing chronic cyanitis that most of his patients never had before they sought his help. So he's making things worse. Oops. And charging you money for them. Double oops. In the case of the patient, William Boyer, according to court testimony, Weinberger showed him an image of polyps inside a sinus cavity that were bloody, infected, and pus-filled. Barf. <laughs> After seeing- spell, spell pussy for me. No, pussy is not a word. It's not a word. It is. It's purulent. I don't care if it's not a word or not. A lot of people, <laughs> a lot of people think it is. If there is- Therefore, therefore, <laughs> that's just like ain't. Ain't. Ain't is now in the dictionary. Yep. It is in Webster's because so many fucking people did it, it became accepted vocabulary. If there is an excess amount of pus, you do not call it pussy. It's purulent. Just so we're on the same page. Ah, uh, okay. are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. What if you have a pussy pussy? <laughs> you did. You didn't need to do that. What if you have moist panties nope. from... A pussy uh, pussy. No. <laughs> oh, what is wrong with you? No. She'll say panties because my mom will say it and then she'll go, oh, I'm sorry. I forgot because I don't like to hear the word. <laughs> so even the kid knows I don't like that word. <laughs> my mom will say it. She's like, well, go get your panties. I'm like, mom, quit it. Ugh. Why does that bother you? I don't you? know. People have aversions to words like moist and panties. It's girls, though. Whatever. I'm entitled to a few perks. I don't know any men 
They just won't admit it because it makes them sound weak. Oh, okay. <laughs> you take a poll at work if there's words you guys don't like. I'm assuming pussy is not one of the words they don't There'll like. There'll be names. <laughs> There'll be names. <laughs> okay. After seeing the picture, Boyer, shocked by his condition, agreed with Weinberger's recommendation that he needed surgery. But according to court testimony, the picture that he had been shown was not his own sinus cavity. That's a big problem. Oopsie doodles. In addition, an EK- Was that on purpose? Yes. Oh. Like, look how bad your, your schnoz is. I'm like, oh, shit. There's a lot of pussy in there. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, I hate oh, that oh. word. Okay, see? Now you're less upset but- about- they would say, oh, that looks terrible. Please fix this for me, doctor. Uh, in addition, the EKG taken before surgery had, in, had indicated that Boyer had an irregular heartbeat, which should have been an immediate red flag, causing reevaluation of the surgery. But Weinberger allegedly changed the interpretation of the EKG simply by crossing out the word abnormal so that it read normal. Abby. Abby something. Abby something. And he signed his name. So he just showing him false pictures of someone else's sinuses and saying your heartbeat is fine. And I was like, that's real bad. That's mm, See, that's a gross negligence. Yeah. Wanton disregard. During Boyer's surgery, Weinberger compounded the risk by giving Boyer cocaine. Da-da-da-da. Cocaine. Da-da-da-da. Which, it does have medical uses. Oh, when I was getting my epidural. What did I say to the doctor? <laughs> I was fucked I up. I don't know. I wasn't allowed in the room. You weren't in there? When you got your epidural? Oh, yeah. No, they kicked me they out. They didn't want anyone to pass out. Well, I so I knew they said, you know, it depended on every anesthesiologist. Mm-hmm. So when he walked in the room, um, I asked him, I go, what do you, do you want me to leave? And um, he said, well, do you have other things and stuff no, or I may could, i don't know what he said because i could find He's, something yeah i mean he it was just kind of like i would prefer yes yes we don't want to pass out or throw so up or... i said all right well i'll go do some shit i told him i wanted to watch but he said i couldn't yeah. girls no i was <laughs> this tiny little nurse i was fucked up on some drugs which made things a lot more enjoyable tolerable but the tiny little nurse that was also pregnant put a pillow like under me to hold me still and i was like you are not gonna do anything <laughs> She's so tiny. <laughs> and but I was talking to you about the Nick. I go, Yes, time, that's what it yeah, was. Yeah, the Nick that he used cocaine as an epidural on a golden retriever. And I go, I was watching a show where this doctor used cocaine as an epidural on a golden yeah. retriever. He goes, Oh, okay, that's nice. <laughs> I will never forget seeing this guy wheel a cart in, and I just thought you know, that it would be being a, a doctor, like someone mm-hmm. else would wheel his shit in and he just shows up. Mm-hmm. And I would just remember being fucking blown away. A giant needle? That, well, no, that like, here's this doctor and he's just like. Makes good money, doctor. Here you go. Let me stick this giant needle in your back. I'd do it a hundred times over too. Epidural every day in my life. Yep. I'm one of those people. Remember in the big, they're like, they're like who's going to do it natural? And they're like, this many people go up. And they're, they're like, she goes, we'll see. We'll see. And I was like, uh-uh, hook me up. Yep. I don't care. I don't feel a goddamn thing. Anyways. I mean, it's medical stuff. But, you know. So I gave him cocaine and, and epinephrine, the combination of which can exacerbate an irregular heartbeat. So uppers. He also did what he had done in hundreds of other cases. Lawyers have asserted drilled holes in Boyer's sinuses that ultimately did not alleviate the problems and may have worsened them. At the civil trial hearing, Boyer's suit 
that would be disputed between each other's medical experts as to whether the surgery had caused long-term injury, but the defense did not dispute that Weinberger had provided Boyer with substandard care. Boyer's civil suit filed in 2004 was only the first to go to court of the more than 350 that had been filed again. 350 malpractice lawsuits. Oopsie doodles. By the time Boyer's suit went to trial, Indiana State Medical Review Panels had already found Weinberger negligent in at least 20 cases. August 2004. Barry Ruth, was the, is he's the attorney, <laughs> would eventually represent 289 former patients of Weinberger and made requests to the doctor's office for medical records of roughly 18 patients, which Weinberger could have interpreted only as a guarantee that more malpractice claims were coming. Like, give me the papers. Like, I know you fucked this shit up. Give me your papers because we're suing your ass. Hundreds of patients in northwest Indiana were walking around with worthless holes in their sinuses, which he put there using outdated surgical procedures, and that he has billed insurance companies for a myriad of operations that one medical expert says he could have only have performed with 12 hands in the 25 minutes his notes indicate the surgery took. So you're saying, I did all this shit. It's like funny because it only took 25 minutes and you couldn't have done all this shit in 25 minutes without 12 hands. It's like, well, I have a lot of nurses. We share hands. (laughs) He mutilated people for money is the way trial lawyer Ruth would ultimately describe his practice in court proceedings. According to court documents, at least two other malpractice suits aside from Phyllis Barnes had already been filed and it was clear to at least Michelle that the pressure of protracting litigations was getting to her husband. Drastic mood swings, odd hints that he knew he was going to lose everything. Questions about how she would feel if they abandoned their life in Chicago and moved to an island off Europe. Dun dun dun! Okay. Thank you for participating. This is the first half of this because there is a lot more information and we can't shut up, but is the point of having microphones in our faces because we cannot shut up. We cannot be stopped. Yes. Patreon are coming up. One is also kind of medical, but also about cereal. Yes, and yogurt. And yogurt. Oh, God. I forgot. I haven't edited. That's nasty. It gets nastier. Yeah. I blame you. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I try to, I try to ha- do righteous living, but no. then I just come home. Yep. Hey, I made you chocolate chip muffins. <laughs> <laughs> Look exactly like shit. She's squeezing it through that piping bag. But Birthmark the, looks like shit. But the chocolate chips were getting caught in the piping bag, so she had to squeeze even harder. <laughs> it was just like shit in that bag. It was so gross. I was like, I forgot there was chocolate chips in this batter. It's not going to work well like this. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's all I have. And Carla probably will be back next time and she won't know what's going on, but all the more fun for us because it's better if she doesn't know what's going on. That's right. Yes. And for honest to goodness, stay out of the corn. 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 I can't set it down because then he'll he try it. to eat it. And he won't leave till he knows you're done eating. Oh, yep, here he goes. He's leaving. Fuck you too, dog. Can't have chocolate. He's going to take that napkin off. Hey, doc sucker. <laughs> He's not sorry. <laughs> Maybe Eleanor more. That's become more popular. Yeah. <laughs> Eleanor. <laughs> that's what I always say to her. Uh,
she comes out. Eleanor, quit. As soon as we go on the walk, as soon as we walk out the door, my parents' basset hound just starts barking. Oh, yeah. The other day we walked out and there wasn't fucking anybody there. And she's like barking like you would think, oh, she's going to fucking kill somebody. She's got to let all the thugs in the neighborhood know. She is the president of the county chapter of the Grumpy Old Cunt Club. (laughs) And she is. She she barks at me incessantly when I go and like we just like talk over it until your mom goes hush and then she'll go then just start back up. (laughs) Yeah. Point son of a bitch. Sit down. Oh 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 I never sir. I never you know, I might have to call my attorney. <laughs> Scruff McGruff from Chicago, <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> he just Scruff to... McGruff's not an attorney, you dick. Too shame. It's a drug canine. <laughs> right? Just say no to drugs. 